Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? The gospel of free grace tends to invoke criticism from both unbelievers and professing Christians alike. Uh, This problem goes back to when Paul wrote to the Romans. In Romans chapter 6 verse 1, he repeats the complaint of some that he was preaching a gospel which led people to live sinful lifestyles. Uh, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? All because he preached a gospel of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Uh, Which means you cannot be saved by keeping the law. Your works or your efforts to follow God's law cannot save you. But then there are those who reason this way. I have been saved by grace when I first believed, but now what? What must I do to remain saved? How can I secure my own salvation? In our text this morning, Paul is addressing the problem of false teaching in the Galatian churches. The false teaching was that Gentile Christians had to be circumcised in order to be saved. They were trying to lead Christians back to the Mosaic Law, the Old Covenant. And that is why the false teachers are called the Judaizers. And to correct this false teaching, he reminds the Galatians about how they came to Christ, how they were saved, and how they grow in Christ and remain saved. In summary, it is all by God's grace. He addresses how we receive the Spirit, how we are perfected, and how the Spirit works in us day by day. And it is all surrounding the gifts that God has given us. First, how do we receive the Spirit? Or better, how are we saved in the first place? He begins by ridiculing the Galatians. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? He uses terms of witchcraft or pagan magic to speak of false teaching because that's how sinister and evil it truly is. If you've ever had the chance to look in the eyes of a false teacher, you'll see that there is something sinister there. There is an arrogance, a pride, a mockery of what's true, an unwillingness to be corrected. It's pure evil. They have been bewitched by the Judaizers who were workers of evil. This is yet another example of how 
Members of churches are just as much responsible for knowing and believing the gospel as preachers and teachers are as he speaks to all the Galatians here. He says, it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Now, what is he saying here? Is he saying that the Galatians were all there at Golgotha when Jesus was crucified? No, that's highly unlikely. But if you consider the context, he is speaking about apostolic preaching, uh, the preaching of the gospel during the apostles' time, or just as Paul said to the Corinthians, the preaching of Christ and him crucified. Now, some have also argued that this could actually include the celebration of the Lord's Supper uh, as we lift uh, the bread up and say the words of institution, take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you, Do this in remembrance of me. Uh, The Lord's Supper is a public portrayal of Christ crucified. And I don't see why not as long as it is tied to the preaching of the gospel. Which in context is what Paul is speaking of here. As the public portrayal of Christ crucified. So he is saying to them, have you been listening to what we have been preaching to you? Christ has done for you what you can never do for yourself. He has offered a sacrifice that you could never offer. He has fulfilled all of the old covenant at the cross. He became our circumcision. Why would you want to go back to that? Why would you believe that you can earn your salvation by your works? So he asks them one of four important questions about their Christian experience, about their salvation. First question, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? On one level, Paul is addressing the period of apostolic preaching. He is addressing the time period where The apostles began to preach the gospel to the nations, Acts chapter 2, beginning at Pentecost, where many people were receiving the Spirit, witnessing miracles, and some even spoke in tongues so that the gospel would spread to all nations. Uh, Because this is how the early church grew and was established in various parts of the world. Uh, This was fulfilling what it says in Joel chapter 2, verse 28. And it shall come to pass afterward, That I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. But on another level. This continues to this day in our personal experience. Minus the miraculous gifts. So he's asking us. Did you receive the spirit by works? Or by hearing with faith? Do you receive the spirit by your obedience? Or by hearing and believing the gospel. Today the preaching of the gospel goes out. The Holy Spirit uses that preaching to save individual souls. He uses the preaching of his word to draw your eyes to Christ crucified. So that you can look or better hear and be saved. Just as when Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. 
For those who were bitten by a serpent, they would look at it and live. So today, Christ is publicly portrayed as crucified in the preached word so that you can look to Christ and be saved. Look to Christ on the cross and live. And ask yourself, does your right standing with God depend on you or your works of the law? For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Romans 3.20. And listen to Paul as he said he was made a minister of the new covenant. Not of the letter, which I believe is speaking of the Mosaic law. But of the spirit. For the letter kills. But the spirit gives life. Listen to Martin Luther. He says this regarding this text. The law never brings the Holy Spirit. Therefore, it does not justify. Because it only teaches what we ought to do. But the gospel does bring the Holy Spirit. Because it teaches what we ought to receive. For the law is a taskmaster. It demands that we work and that we give. The gospel, on the contrary, does not demand. It grants freely. It commands us to hold out our hands and to receive what is being offered. So in order to receive the Spirit of God, did you have to work for it? Was it because of anything that you have done? Did you have to meet some kind of condition before you were saved? Or was it all by God's sovereign grace? And once we receive the Spirit, do we keep the Spirit by works? No. The Spirit is now eternally with us and enables us to live as Christians. Uh, Listen to Paul in Romans 8. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And this is the direction he goes in next. Secondly, Paul asks another follow-up question. Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? To be perfected by the flesh is speaking about works of the flesh or any human effort whatsoever uh, to be made perfect. Specifically for them, it would be to go back to the old covenant types and shadows, to go back to circumcision. Making circumcision necessary for salvation was to rely on the flesh to perfect them, not the Spirit of God. We have moved on from earthly types and shadows, and we now look to the substance, which is Christ. See, the Christian is in a much better place than those of the Old Testament, because we have the substance. Of our salvation. We have 
Christ and Him crucified. So here Paul is now speaking of sanctification, which eventually leads to our glorification, when we will be made perfect in heaven. The word for perfected means to be brought to an end. So at this point, it would be wise to notice the difference between justification, which Paul spoke of in chapter 2, and sanctification, which he covers here in chapter 3. Justification is when God declares us righteous. And sanctification is the process of God making us holy and righteous. It's important because many people believe that justification is by grace alone through faith alone, but sanctification is 50-50. God does his part and I do my part, but that's wrong. Both justification and sanctification is all by God's grace, as it is described in our shorter catechism. It is all by God's free grace. But how do they differ? Justification is an act of God's free grace which lies outside of us. In justification, nothing changes about us besides our standing with God. We are declared righteous. Nothing changes within us when we are declared righteous. Sanctification is a work, an ongoing work, that is, of God's free grace. This is where God begins to change us internally, within us. Our larger catechism answers the question, well, what's the difference between the two? It describes how justification and sanctification are two sides of the same coin. They are both necessary for the Christian life. If you are justified, you will be sanctified. In justification, God imputes Christ's righteousness to us. He declares us righteous based on Christ's obedience, not ours. This means that your bank account is completely empty when it comes to righteousness. You are completely morally bankrupt. But God, by his free grace, gives Christ's righteousness to you and declares you righteous when you believe in him for salvation. So now, your bank account is full. Not based on anything you have done, but based solely on what Christ has done for you. While sanctification is God infusing grace within you and enabling you to live like a Christian. In justification, sin is pardoned and forgiven. In sanctification, sin is subdued. In justification, all believers have been equally freed from the wrath of God. Justification is perfect in this life, and we never fall into condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Our justification, our right standing with God, 
doesn't change based on how well we're doing as Christians today. It is immovable. It is immutable. It doesn't change. While sanctification is neither equal in all, meaning we're all at different places, nor in this life perfect in any. No one is perfect in their Christian walk. But we're growing up to perfection. We are being perfected. We are being brought to an end. So how are we being perfected is the question. Is it by works of the law or works of the flesh? In this case for them, circumcision. Uh, Does circumcision perfect anyone? No. For us, does our keeping the law perfect us or sanctify us? Are we going to complete our redemption by our own obedience? No. It is all by God's grace. It is by the Holy Spirit working in us as we hear His Word. Listen to Paul in Philippians 2, verses 12 through 13. When he told them to continue to obey the word preached to them, he tells all of us as well, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Here the word salvation is speaking of our sanctification. So yes, you are expected to do something. But but doesn't that sound like we sanctify ourselves? Now, don't forget verse 13. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So if you're not willing and if you're not working for his good pleasure, the question is whether or not you have the Holy Spirit to begin with. Listen to Ezekiel 36. It is the Lord speaking. He says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you. And I will cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. We are totally passive in that entire text. We don't make ourselves holy. The Lord does it all. Uh, This is why the author of Hebrews says that the way we overcome sin and the way we run this race of the Christian life is by looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. So the question is not, what am I doing to sanctify myself? But what is God doing within me to sanctify me? And what has he left me in order to perfect me? He mentioned earlier that it is by hearing with faith and by the Spirit. That is, it is by word and by Spirit. He repeats this again later to say that salvation is all of God's work and it is all by his grace. And there are means that he left us to perfect us. The law can't do it. It is only through the hearing of the gospel and by the work of the Holy Spirit within us. Thirdly, he asks two more important questions. Did you suffer so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain, 
the early church suffered much persecution for the gospel. And it would have all been in vain if they replaced Christ's work with their own works or works of the law. Does he who supplies the spirit to you, which is Christ, and works miracles among you, do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Paul had left them with a pattern of coming to the means of grace, specifically the preached word. Because it is the preached word that the Holy Spirit uses to work in them. And that day by day, he further strengthens them and their faith, and he further sanctifies them. In that time, as I mentioned earlier, uh, they were witnesses of various apostolic gifts and miracles as the Spirit was given to them. Now that we are not living in the apostolic era, we have the Word of God as it is preached to us. What a gift God has given to us that we can gather here week in and week out to hear the preached Word. Let us not take it for granted. So Paul is asking the Galatians, did God give you the Spirit because you were circumcised? And he is asking us, does God come to us and grant us his Spirit because we deserve it? Or based on how well we're doing as a church? Or is it all by his grace? Uh, I know that some of us, or better all of us, are messed up in some way. But Sunday after Sunday, he visits us in the gathering of the saints with his word and his spirit to bless us and transform us more and more into the image of his son. Did we earn any of this? So how should we be receiving this word as it is preached? How should we be receiving the word of God as it goes forth, but with joyful anticipation and humility? Because there is a warning of judgment for those who don't. Many Christians are struggling, which is nothing new. They're struggling with various things, whether it is with obedience or some level of suffering. They say, I keep falling to the same old sin, or or, I don't see much growth in my faith. I feel spiritually depressed. But when you ask them if they're going to church on a consistent basis, the answer is often, not as much as I should. That's like someone complaining of chronic pain, but refuses to take the medication the doctor prescribed. There's not much we can do for you unless you take what the doctor prescribed. There are some pastors and elders who when visiting their congregants, they'll ask the members of their church if they're reading their Bibles daily, are they praying enough, are you doing your daily devotions? I guess these are some good questions to ask, but my primary question I would ask would be, are you attending the ordinary or ordained means of grace, the word preached, the sacrament, and prayer in the public setting of God's people? 
And when attending these means, are you attending with a humble heart, ready to receive God's word? I know this sounds controversial, but reading your Bible in daily devotions is not enough. According to the pattern of scripture, that is not enough. Actually, you hardly find that anywhere in scripture. Because on your own, you can draw all sorts of conclusions about what the Bible says. As I've said before, liberals, Mormons, Jehovah Witnesses, and various other unbelieving cults all read their Bible on their own, minus the Spirit of God and minus what the one who supplies the Spirit, what He gave us in the preached Word so that you can hear it and believe. See, the one who supplies the Spirit, he's speaking of Jesus Christ here. He uses the ordained means of grace to help us grow. Now, this doesn't mean that if you're deaf or blind, you can't be saved and you can't grow in your faith. Uh, The Lord provides other extraordinary means for such cases. But the point here is that we are saved and kept by God's word and his spirit, not by anything we have done or have accomplished. Whatever good works we have done is evidence. It's confirmation. It even helps our assurance when we're doubting. But our good works have no power to save us. None whatsoever. So there are a couple of doctrines and applications that we can draw from this text. First, the gospel is to be offered freely. There are no conditions that someone needs to meet before we share the gospel of God's free grace. Because it is by His Spirit that He applies that grace to the sinner. This is why we must distinguish between the law and the gospel. The law being the commands of God and the gospel being the promises of God. If we don't distinguish between law and gospel, this runs the danger of someone believing that their good works or their obedience in some way contributes to their salvation. Paul says the law kills. The Spirit gives life. Listen to Paul in Romans 7. When the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life, how did it promise life? The commandment says, do this. Do this completely and do this perfectly and you will live. The very commandment that promised life proved To be death to me. For sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment deceived me and through it killed me. But by the Spirit, the gospel gives life. The law has no power to save. Paul calls the law the power of sin. Why would he say that? Because again, the law demands perfect and complete obedience, which you can never accomplish, even as believers. It only exposes you to judgment and death. If you're not forgiven, 
you can never do what the law requires. We fulfill what the law requires mainly because we are in Christ and we are forgiven for our daily sins. And this by the Spirit propels us to grow up into perfection. So secondly, our entire salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, including our sanctification, our growth in grace. It doesn't make sense for the Christian to be justified by grace through faith alone, but then turn around and seek to be sanctified by works. It doesn't make sense. Now this helps when we're struggling with sin or when we're helping others who are struggling with sin. This is why it is important to keep justification and sanctification distinct. Justification, you are declared righteous. Sanctification, you are being made righteous, yet inseparable. They are inseparable in the Christian life. Because this would lead us to either ask the question of someone who's struggling. Is this person even saved? Or is he just going through growing pains? If the latter, this requires... A lot of patience from us, which many of us tend to lack. Not procrastination when we're confronting someone who has sinned against us, but patience. Patience as others grow. And we would ask ourselves, of people who are struggling with sin, am I going to walk along with them? as they struggle with their sin and help them grow, or I'm just going to discard them as someone who is not even saved at all. Thirdly, we are to attend the ordinary or ordained means of grace that God intended for our salvation and for our spiritual growth. People ask themselves, what's the point of going to church? Well, you came to hear the gospel by faith because this is where people are converted and this is where people are being built up. Paul, if you haven't noticed, is making the gathering of the saints for worship necessary here. He is making it necessary so that we would hear by faith. This is what Paul is saying here, that we began... Our Christian lives, when we heard the gospel by faith through the work of the Holy Spirit, convincing and converting us, and we continue our Christian lives by hearing the gospel by faith as the Spirit continues to work in us until we reach glory. These are the means that He has provided for us. Over the years, I've spoken to a lot of people who have been struggling with their faith or are struggling with sin. And my one advice has always been, don't stop going to church. Even in the face of grievous and scandalous sin, don't stop going to church because these are the means of grace here that God has given us. They're here. And they are necessary for both justification as well as sanctification. Hearing the gospel and believing is not just for the beginning of the Christian life. But we need them every day of our lives. 
That is how the Spirit works. This is the warning of the author of Hebrews when he said, We are not to neglect to meet together. We are not to neglect the gathering, as is the habit of some. Because if we're neglecting the gathering, and if we're not approaching this gathering with all humility, we shouldn't wonder why we're not growing in our faith. So let us draw near to the means that he has provided for us to transform us by the Spirit. And let us draw near in all humility, ready to receive God's word every week so that we may live as Christians among one another. As J.V. Fesco says, we must yield, rest, and look by faith to Christ. This is what we're called to do every week. And by the work of His Spirit, He will produce good fruit within us. Amen.